בחרנו? זה מי? So why does God like encounter? What we have to first realize is he's a God of encounter. He may choose to reveal himself gradually to you over time for exposure in a Christian environment like church, for a Christian household where you may be brought up with Christian parents, or a relationship with a believer. As we heard with David Morgan, he brought Joe into the church and Joe's been bringing other people into the church. Or he may even use a more dramatic encounter. But each person of the Trinity wants to know them, or you. We know the Father through the Old Testament scriptures, but also by the life and sacrifice of his son Jesus. And we learn more about both the Father and the Son through his Holy Spirit, who lives and empowers us daily to live as God intended his children to live. How does God encounter us? An encounter with God will be personal. God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our circumstances, our thoughts and fears, and all the answers we will give in any given situation. In all circumstances, we should show reverence in these encounters. Moses had to take off his shoes in the presence of God. Many bowed down when God appeared to them. Some pleaded for mercy in their encounters. Those who doubted his words paid for their folly. Even Moses nearly lost his life to God while going back to Egypt after his encounter. Our God is a God of the outcast and the underdog. God has used many times what seemed to man the weakest tribal person to fulfill his purposes. So when we ask ourselves the question, why me? God says, why not? Absolutely. As it says in Isaiah 55, 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. God will use the foolishness of man to fulfill his purposes. That's why a young shepherd boy named David could overcome a giant with three stones in a sling. And another young man, Gideon, was chosen by God to deliver a nation from the oppression of the Midianites with only 300 men. Joseph, Jacob's second youngest son, would be the deliverer of a nation. And Jesus called 12 disciples to himself, made up of the following. Looking at that list, we can see the disciples were mainly fishermen or traders. 
However, Matthew was more academic, and he could use a pen. He would become the first man to bring the world in Hebrew an account of Jesus' teachings. The average Hebrew at that time might have thought it impossible to reform Matthew, a despised tax collector. But to God, all things are possible. Matthew would become a missionary of the gospel who laid down his life for the faith of his master. Isn't it strange that the Bible talks about Matthew being despised? We know that there was bad blood between the Hebrews and tax collectors because one, they felt betrayed by them because they worked for the Romans and two, they were, te- they were collecting taxes and some were being uh, creative with the accounting. Isn't it strange that even today people fear the tax man? <laughs> Our God is for the everyday man, not just the rich, the privileged or those with regal titles like kings or queens. I guess today's equivalent of that would be a celebrity. He is the everyday God for the everyday people. And an encounter with God goes beyond barriers of class, lifestyle or social position. He goes beyond gender, age, ethnicity, ability, wisdom, knowledge or what we've done or who we are in this world. His love and truth cut through these barriers like a hot knife through butter and allow healing, forgiveness and empowerment to take place. Don't get me wrong, God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, ever-loving. He's eternal, but he's a God who meets us at our level, whether it be up or down, rich or poor, accepted or not accepted. He deals with us equally and lifts us up to levels and heights we can never imagine or comprehend. He is a God of new beginnings. A few New Testament examples are the Samaritan woman, the twelve disciples, and even Paul. Their new beginnings brought other new beginnings into the faith, into God's kingdom, and into his presence. First scripture for today, John 4. This is the amplified version. I would have liked to put Jesus' words in red, but it doesn't work well with this background. So just work with me on this one. Then a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone off into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman asked him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? For Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew about God's gift of eternal life and who it is who says, Give me a drink, you would have asked him instead, and he would have given you living water, eternal life. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with no bucket and rope. And the well is deep. When then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and who used to drink from it himself and his sons and his cattle also? Jesus again answered her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. But the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, satisfying his thirst for God, welling up continually flowing, bubbling within him to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not get thirsty nor have to continually come all the way here to draw. At this Jesus said, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered, I do not have a husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I do not have a husband, for you have had five husbands 
and the man you're now living with is not your husband, you have said this truthfully. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place where one ought to worship is in Jerusalem at the temple. Jesus replied, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when God's kingdom comes, when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans do not know what you worship. We Jews do know what we worship, for salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming and is already here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit, from the heart, the inner self, and in truth. For the Father seeks such people to be his worshippers. God is spirit, the source of life, yet invisible to mankind. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, the anointed. When that one comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he, the Messiah. For the Samaritan woman who fought her life should be filled with finding love from men. Encountering Jesus showed her a better way. Jesus met the lack of those in need and gave them even more than they asked for. We see that in the feeding of the four and the five thousand. Jesus, the living water, is all she needed. He is all we need as well. The water jug could represent our hearts. Have we done a check lately? What are we filling our hearts with today? Is it Jesus? And if not, why is it not Jesus? Ponder that. Let's read on. John 4, from verse 39. Now many Samaritans from that city believed in him and trusted him as saviour because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me all these things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to remain with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed in him with a deep abiding trust because of his word, his personal message to them. And they told the woman, we no longer believe Jesus because of what you said, for now we have heard him for ourselves and know with confident assurance that this one is truly the saviour of all the world. Just looking at that scripture and something that I touched base with David about, a lot of people give that woman from Samaria a hard time thinking she was a bit of a wayward woman because she had five husbands. But David said when he was preaching on John, he was saying, well, it could be that she was just very unlucky. That every husband that she married actually died on her, which is possible. It does happen. So, and she was living the, the fifth one because she needed the security of a man to get by in that type of world. So she might not have been a loose woman. So we'll clarify that. But definitely, she knew about Jesus. She knew about the scriptures because she knew about a prophet. So she was a godly woman. Maybe hard done by, but a godly woman. Yeah? Yeah. Now, listening to the scripture we've just read, the first thing she did, she believed, she was convinced, and she spoke. She went out, she chatted, and she told everyone else. But looking at the extended, the Amplified Version at 41, it says, Many more believed in him with a deeper abiding trust because of his word, his personal message to them. Now he gave her a personal message, and that's what convinced her. Jesus then spoke to her, her people and again gave them personal messages. So he doesn't just give one blanket message and say, you must believe. He gives a personal message to yourself to convince you that he is who he says he is. 
People changed by Jesus are not persuaded that he is who he says he is, the son of God and the only way to eternal life through salvation by grace through faith. No, we as true believers are convinced that we know from the top of our head to the end of our toes that Jesus Christ is Lord and he will return. Saul, as the Pharisee of Pharisees, was convinced the Jewish religion was the only way until he encountered Jesus on the Damascus Road. His life was forever changed and he started his long, very hard, challenging but purposeful and faithful walk with God. He maintained this for the Saviour who showed him such grace, mercy, patience and love after persecuting the very church he would be so instrumental in being used to spread God's good news of this gospel across the world. don't know if you can see that properly, but... This is Paul's missionary journeys. And this is what it would look like if a tube map format... There's lots of maps on the internet about Paul's journeys. They're really complicated. This is the most simplistic one I could find. We can see he made many stops... And his journeys got wider and more complicated as they progressed. And his inspirational teachings and observations did not end in Rome, but spread across the world. So that's why you've got that dotted line. We know that he died in Rome, but the message went on. Be warned, if you're not an outcast before Jesus called you, you may well become one to the world when you follow him diligently and up words fully. When we experience an encounter with him, he shows us he can and will fulfill all our needs, dreams, and everything life throws at us. He becomes not only our source for all our mental, physical, and spiritual needs, but also our strength, wisdom, direction, and purpose, etc. He also becomes our refuge, our friend, comforter, redeemer, our saviour, our lord. He knows what we need, when we need it, but more importantly, he also knows what's best for us, and will only work and provide for us what is good for us. Even his discipline is good for us, for his righteousness squeezes out the dross our human lives and hearts carry and manifests until Jesus cleanses our hearts through his saving grace and the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. When we encounter God, he will offer us something that will change our lives forever. Unlike the Godfather, there are some that refuse the offer God makes to us, not realising the implications of their choice. But God is a merciful and patient God and knows the right time and place to approach those he has chosen before the beginning of time. What God offers us is always connected to what we desire and need. Jesus will encounter us at our point in need. We hear so many stories of people crying out to God and Jesus coming into their lives and delivering them from their sorrow or despair. A quote from Boris Joachim. When a person becomes desperate, Jesus comes near. Can I just say, I know Jesus will meet you at your point in need. But for some of us, we do leave it to the last minute to call on him. When we should have been calling him earlier clock. So sometimes you don't have to go through what you've gone through. If you just called on Jesus in the first place, things would have got a bit smoother. It seems that each encounter we have with God, he wants to give us something. Each time a person met with Jesus, they were going to ask him for something. They wanted to receive something from him, be it healing or his wisdom. But Jesus already knew what they needed and wanted to give them something as well as what they required. 
But in all cases, it begins our journey of sanctification, acknowledgement of Jesus as our Lord Saviour, and a much closer intimate walk with him. And at some point in our walk in transformation, we will begin to tell others about Jesus, what he's done for us and what he can do for those who place their trust in him. Jesus will prove to you and those around you that he is God and everything he has said, done and promised is true and our hope and trust can be wholly, wholeheartedly be placed in him. For some, they won't be able to stop talking about Jesus and they're probably the budding evangelists. But we can all give testimony to the goodness of our Saviour for our changed lives by his love, grace and mercy at work in us through his Holy Spirit. What impact does an encounter have on us? An encounter with the Holy Trinity will bring humility to the awesomeness, righteousness, goodness, and mercy of the Almighty God. A.W. Tozer sums it up as, it's always true that an encounter with God brings wonderment and awe. Every believer must and will be humbled in his presence. We can but bow down and worship in his glory, power, and love. Encounter with God can produce a name change. God calls us a new name more appropriate to what what he has called us to. Here's a table of some of the name changes noted in the Bible. I always like giving you a cross-section of Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament is more obvious, but New Testament has its uses as well. Abraham and Sariah had pretty grand names before God changed them. But see how the God-given names encompass more and elevates them to new heights. So Abram, the high father, becomes the father of many. And Sariah, my princess to the people, is extended to lady, princess, noblewoman, to the entire world, and the mother of nations. Jacob is given his name because at birth he held on to his twin brother's heel at their delivery. But he is also known as Supplanter, as his mother is given a word from God in Genesis 25, verse 23. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. After much scheming, Jacob receives the birthright and the blessings of his elder brother. God continues to walk with Jacob as he encounters deception from his father-in-law and tries to make peace with his wronged twin brother, Esau. And one night after prevailing with God, he changes his name to Israel. But God has to again remind Jacob of his new name at Bethel. A much humbler and wiser man walks with God after this. In the New Testament, we also see name changes for certain people. The most famous one would be Jesus, upon meeting Simon, renames him Peter, or Cephas, meaning rock. Jesus also confirms his name when Peter confesses him as the Christ. Peter, after his denial and restoration by Jesus, is set on fire for God at the day of Pentecost. And although Peter has his faults, his actions show his heart was always for the Lord. The apostle Joseph, who sold his land to help provide for other believers, was called Barnabas, the son of encouragement, by the early believers as he was a great encourager. There's some of us who will remember William Lee. He was a a great evangelist, sadly gone and passed to be the Lord now. Uh, There was one occasion he was here, it was one of the early visits that he came. And he didn't really know me, and I didn't really know him that well. And he passed me by, and he says, 
Now, from now on, I'm going to call you Barnabas. Now, I was green back, back then. <laughs> didn't know much of the Bible as, as I do now. And didn't understand, what, what's, he, what's he talking about? What is he talking about? I had to go to the Word and, and check. And suddenly, encouragement. I didn't understand. It's only now, years later, elder and, and, and uh, yeah. in leadership at, at some points, that I understand what he was saying. Now, he didn't know me from Adam. He was an evangelist, but he was in tune with God. And God needed to give me that word for now. Just to tell me, yeah, you're on track. You are an encourager. And if I looked at the other meaning of Barnabas, it means son of prophet. It all links in now. That's what I'm saying. God will call you different names because he wants to see you move into that calling. Saul changed his name to Paul on his first missionary journey while in Cyprus. It's really busy, that, which is a pity. So Cyprus is there. And the black lines indicate the first missionary journey. So it's only when he hits this first island he has the name change. But as you can see, there's four different lines going all over the country. Well, you know, he covered a long, big amount of distance in the 18 or so years of his ministry. But he started off as Saul, the persecutor of the children of God, and became Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, a significant influencer and scholar for the early Christian church and even today's church and teachings. The Holy Spirit used Paul powerfully to spread the gospel across the Gentile nations. But please notice, for these characters, the name changes only happened after they were proven and tested by God and began walking in their distance. An encounter with God begins the process of changing you from a sinner to a saint. God has changed us, and sometimes that's why he gives us that change of name, because that's how he sees us now. So he changes the name Saul the persecutor to Paul the apostle. He was not only confirming to Paul that he was a new creation in God, but this new person is what God sees and saw right from the beginning of creation when he created a plan to save us. What we think of ourselves is important, but what God thinks of us is of greatest importance. Harmful names and harmful encounters can hinder us for life, but every encounter with God is always beneficial. It's always energizing and always for the good of us. An encounter with him can bring healing or forgiveness. It can also bring cleansing and renewal. John 8. Early in the morning he came back into the temple court and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began teaching them. Now the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. They made her stand in the center of the court and they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women to death. So what do you say to do with her what is your sentence? They said this to test him, hoping that they would have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and began writing on the ground with his finger. However, when they persisted in questioning him, he straightened up and said, He who is without any sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and started writing on the ground. They listened to his reply and they began to go out one by one, starting with the oldest ones, until he was left alone with the woman standing there before him in the centre of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did not 
And did no one condemn you? She answered, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. The story of the adulterous woman is an example of Jesus showing his mercy to any sinner at any time. And this was a crucial time for this woman. She was to be stoned to death for her sins according to Old Testament law. But Jesus was showing the world his new covenant of grace and mercy to those who would follow him. His sins were no worse, her sins were no worse than the sins these men had committed with her at some point or another. But their motives were not pure or righteous. They were motivated to try and trap Jesus, not uphold God's law or teachings. They were an angry mob taking advantage of someone who could not defend themselves and in some way felt they deserved this sort of treatment because of their own actions and decisions. Maybe in the scariest of moments she had made peace with God and Jesus had felt or heard in his spirit her cry for help, mercy and repentance. Again and again we see God use the evil motives and actions of men to show how good, merciful and just a God he truly is and always will be. Even in the direst of situations, facing imminent death, God can turn a situation around for our good and the good of others. The woman was freed from her guilt and shame if she followed Jesus' instructions to sin no more. And perhaps some of the men who were going to stone her were kept free of the guilt and pain of taking her life, even if they felt it was justified. Before Jesus' return, an encounter with him can still be life-changing. If we do not allow Jesus to chain us, deny him, or refuse his gift of salvation before his return, his final encounter will not be good as he judges the world, those alive and dead, to determine their eternal outcome. Every encounter with God brings change, normally positive for you, sometimes difficult and painful for you, but always for your best and the best of others. Sometimes it can, be, it can bring refreshing and empowerment to fulfill a task God has for you to do. The encounter normally opens your mind and heart to more of the grace and goodness of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, helping us develop a much deeper and richer relationship with them and the body of Christ. You become dedicated and more in tune with the voice and the leaning of the Holy Trinity, which not only develops you, but helps develop the church to fulfill God's purposes. An encounter with God helps us access the wisdom and will of God. He invites us to know his will and purpose for ourselves and others to support the progress and advancement of his kingdom. Any godly encounter is normally challenging for us, as he will highlight something or someone to us that we need to address or deal with. That is very true. Even with um, your closest relationships. There was one time I heard um, R.T. Kendall preach. Um, It was at a conference. And he's very open, very open about um, life at home. And he said there was one time he had this deadline for a preach. And I think it was a Saturday and he was meant to preach the Sunday. And he had this big blur argument with his wife. And he stomped upstairs and he says... And he tried to start re- continue writing the preach, and he could not. Couldn't lift the pen, and he's there, you know, in his spirit, and he's he's struggling. Saying, "I'm writing this. I can't. No, she can't win this one. She can't win this one. I'm writing this one." 
and the clock is ticking. You know when you've got that deadline and the clock is ticking and that clock seems to go even quicker than it would normally. And he says, the deadline has come up, the deadline has come up. And in the end, he had to humble himself. He said, Lord, what's wrong? Why, why won't you, you talk to me anymore? He says, you need to put right what you've, with your, you have to get right with your wife. Put right that first and then I can continue what we, we started. So he ate big humble pie, spoke to his wife. You know men, those who are married, we know at the end the wife is always right, isn't it? Um, took humble pie, went back upstairs, and he had that preach finished in half an hour. That's the power of God. But we have to be right with him. Do you understand, church? In every way. You may see it as being fickle. But God is a righteous God. And he needs you to be right with him before he can be right with you. Amen? Amen. An encounter with God can overwhelm us and at times break us spiritually, physically and mentally. Many people cry or laugh as they experience the overwhelming love, grace and mercy of the great forgiveness and the goodness of God touches our evil, sinful, and unrepentant hearts. After a godly encounter, we seek to ensure our life pleases him. So we follow his instruction in the word, the Bible, and via the leading of the Holy Spirit to please and honor him. We realize when you encounter God is that through him and him alone, we will find life with real purpose, real hope, real love, real joy, and real peace. We know the Holy Trinity all worked to instigate an encounter with you by the Father's will, Jesus' righteousness, and the power of the Holy Spirit. But church, we also have a responsibility to accept and receive the gift or words or blessings shown to us during an encounter with Jesus. Many have chosen to walk away or deny themselves such an encounter. We must make sure we always make time and room for God to meet us in new and more powerful Holy Spirit drenched encounters with Jesus. I'm enjoying the, the series that David has taken us on with the Holy Spirit. For, for a good amount of years now, I've been challenged about spirit filled um, church. So it's good that we're going down that road. We are empty vessels, guys. And if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, something else is filling you. That's it. I'm sorry. You can't say it any other way. There's no in-betweens on that one. So if you're not striving for more of his Holy Spirit, you need to start. I would urge you to start. Because we don't know when God will call us home. Encounter leads to a realization of how much we need Jesus and are dependent on him. And a godly encounter shows his love for all of us. Practical love is love in action, not in words, and provides healing. The Good Samaritan showed this and lived this. Genuine love is always expressed. We cannot just say we love someone, we have to show them and act accordingly towards them. Love is very precious. I'm not, and I'm not talking about human love, which is as fickle as a child. No, I am talking about true love, 
godly love. A love that takes you to a loved one in hospital every day, no matter the distance. A love that sits for hours with a dying loved one, knowing there is nothing you can do and knowing that is all you want to do. A love that will sacrifice their life for another without thinking or arguing. A love that sacrifices, a love that endures, a love that conquers all. Godly love, a love so beautiful, those four little letters cannot truly represent it. Godly love in 1 Corinthians 13 is surrounded by many actions to show its expression, such as patience, kindness, slow to anger. This passage is also clear what love is not. Jealousy, envious, pride, arrogance. What's most important is that we acknowledge that we need to love God and that he first loved us and still loves us. So what are the benefits of an encounter with him? An encounter with God will bring blessings to you and your family. Here's a list, just of the Old Testament sort of blessings. Abraham, through his faith, was blessed to be the father of the nation God would use to reveal himself to this world. But God also produced a lamb, so Abraham did not have to sacrifice his son Isaac, given in his old age. Now that, for me, that production of the lamb was a very true blessing to Jacob. Not Jacob, Abraham. I don't think, he was, he was a good man, he was a godly man. And he was blessed in his old age with Isaac from the woman that he truly loved. He was blessed in that respect. Then blessed with the son from the woman that he loved. Again, blessed again. But then God asked him that, that question, I need you to go up a mountain and sacrifice your son. I don't think he was feeling very blessed at that point in time. Yeah? Then he gets there and he's on the verge of striking him down and a lamb appears. I think that's when Abraham really did say to God, I am truly blessed. That the chosen son would not have to be sacrificed. He only wanted to be obedient to God, but he truly saw God's blessings in that. Jacob the deceiver is blessed by God to be fruitful whatever he puts his hand to. But he receives wisdom and humility after wrestling with God. But his true blessing came from Joseph, who would provide God's providence to God's people when severe famine ravaged the lands. We know the story of Jacob. Jacob was a bit of a Jack the Lad character in the Bible. Got into trouble, got into lots of scrapes, but God was always with him. And he was quite, he always used to talk to God. He always used to get guidance from God. He wasn't completely the rebel, but he got into trouble. Then he settled down and he had kids. And that, that child, again, from the woman he really loved, Joseph, he felt blessed. Spoke the child, really. But he felt he was blessed through Joseph. And we know the story of Joseph. Joseph goes into exile. And again, Joseph probably thinks he's having a hard time as well. But throughout that, it was to save a nation. His pain... And Joseph's exile from his family was to save the whole Israelite nation. They were a blessing. Hard, they had a hard walk to, to receive it, but they were both blessed. Moses is called out of his exile after murdering an Egyptian and returns to deliver all his people from the oppression that led him to murder. His family were also used powerfully by God from his mother, blessed to raise her child as Pharaoh's daughter's son, despite the persecution of Hebrew babies at that time, to his sister Miriam and brother Aaron and his family during the Exodus 
and wanderings in the wilderness. Rahab began life as a Gentile prostitute, but through her faith in the Almighty God, saved her family from destruction at Jericho, and is blessed to be in the lineage of our Lord Saviour, Jesus Christ. David, the shepherd boy, would become Israel's greatest king, and he has blessed us with so many of the Psalms, which encourage many believers to this day, but he also desired to honour God with a temple. This task was passed to his son Solomon, but he is remembered more for his wisdom and proverbs, which again many believers use even today. Were these people perfect? No, by no means. They all had their failings, some worse than others. But despite their mistakes, their bad choices and their disobedience, God blessed them and their families graciously and abundantly in many ways. It is not how we begin that God is concerned with. It is how we continue and finish that he strives with us to complete the work he has begun in us. The encounter with him brings blessings such as freedom from sin, past hurts and pain, harsh actions, words, through forgiveness and sanctification. We receive peace in our hearts, in our lives, and our thoughts. Isn't it a blessing to have a thought life that's a bit cleaner than it used to be? Yeah, there's still work to be done, but it is so much better. You may not admit it, church, but I'm put my hand up to say God has taken me a lot further than where I was, back where I was. Love, love for God and love for others. Truly, when God gets hold of you, you don't understand what love is until he gets hold of you. And then the sun is that much brighter. The flowers seem to smell more better. I'm not talking about that romantic love where you're running through the fields and holding your hands up and singing the sound of music what I'm saying is life becomes richer because the love of God is in you we, become, we get renewed it's that born again by the power of the Holy Spirit you do really become a new creation no one can call your name to say you're that, you're that person I remember when you were blah 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 no I'm not I'm not that person any longer I'm far from it and you're empowered to live a life pleasing to the Heavenly Father and glorify Christ Jesus. A godly encounter brings transformation in you and those around you. Through Jesus we become life givers. As Nicky Gumbel says, the life we receive is the life we give. We become a source of life for others. An encounter with Jesus can be unexpected for some, but always life-changing when we choose to follow him after it. His life in us changes us and provides more encounters with God, not just for us, but for those around us. Jesus is the life giver. He gives life to those who have none and need his. You don't have to have it all together to encounter Jesus. He will meet you where you are. If you're broken, incomplete, scarred, scared, immature, unloved, beaten, despised, hopeless, depressed, insecure. And we'll stop there. God is not looking for perfect people. He's looking for people who are willing to be perfected through him. He will change your life and your perspective and start to make you whole in him, healing your scars and hurts and taking away your fears. Giving you wisdom beyond your years, 
love beyond your understanding, lifted up beyond our imagination, blessed with hope and joy beyond our human capacity, cherished beyond compare. We are his and he becomes our everything for every day and every situation. An encounter brings confidence in him, his promises, his power, authority and faithfulness. This leads to us lifting up praise, honour and glory to his name as we live the redeemed life he has called us to. A quote from John Wesley. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. A godly encounter brings freedom. This brings empowerment, and by God's grace, it releases others. We are given the Holy Spirit not for our own selves, but for the glory of God, the development of the church, and for the blessing of others. We who are freely received should freely give, and teach others to freely receive and to freely give according to God's good purpose, will, love, grace, and mercies. An encounter with God teaches us to surrender, to serve, and to sacrifice. And through these three things, we can effectively do what the Holy Spirit is empowering us, teaching us, and sanctifying us to do and become the person we must become to glorify the name of Jesus. Another quote from A.W. Tozer. It's a bit unclear. Thus, we dare not conclude that because we learn about the Spirit, we for that reason actually know him. Knowing him comes only by a personal encounter with the Holy Spirit himself. We have God's new life in us through the sacrifice of Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But be aware, if we choose to bury the life of the Holy Spirit, we also bury the gifting, the opportunities, the callings that he can bring to us. So in conclusion, are we striving for more encounters with him? An encounter with God should not be limited to just one experience. As believers, we should be striving to encounter God daily for all our needs and hopes. Here are, here's a possible set of events that might happen when we encounter God. One is the initial encounter with God. And some may be even baptised in the Holy Spirit at their first encounter with God. Then the believer will face challenges to their faith. Almost immediately, you will get all sorts of things coming your way to try and knock that faith out of you. But the Holy Spirit provides you with boldness and truth to withstand the doubts and that will strengthen your faith. That would normally lead to thanksgiving and praise. You would say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for taking me through. Even though you think that's just a general thing, that's thanksgiving. Just to acknowledge God and then to give thanks. That's thanksgiving. Those of us who have a singing voice might sing a song. But that's not conditional on that one. This would lead to more of God's peace, joy and love coming into us. But what happens then is there is more outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't just stop there. God continues that cycle. Okay, thanksgiving and praise, surrender to God, and then God says, I'll give you a bit more, then I'll give you a bit more, and I'll give you a bit more. And it never stops. It only stops when you stop it. And then ultimately... It leads to the church and God's kingdom growing. It only takes one Christian on fire for God to build the kingdom. One Christian. 
We talked about Paul later, the, before, didn't we? One Christian. Yeah? We're a church of what? 80 to 100? If we could ignite 10 of you, what is it going to look like? Yeah? If we ignite just 10. Just think about it, church. And remember what I said right at the beginning. You, always, you might be sitting in your seat thinking, that's not me. Do you think I was sitting in my seat in church years ago before God called me, thinking, that's me, this preacher, leader, encourager? No. But God can make you so. God can make you so. I'm not a self-made man, I'm a God-made man. And you are God-made people. Have you had your encounter with God? If not, pray that he draws closer to you so you can encounter the fullness of his love, grace and mercy. For those of us that have experienced an encounter with him, let's pray for more encounters. Um, well, I don't know if God's going to take me home just yet, but until he does, I pray there's more encounters. I pray there's more encounters for you guys as well. Did Moses stop seeking the face of God in the wilderness every day? No. He all the more wanted to remain in his presence to learn more from God, but also Moses loved being in God's presence. God the Father and Jesus the Son have sent the Holy Spirit that we might encounter God in his presence every minute of every day of our walk with him. When we submit and give him all that he is worthy of, be it glory, love, time, money, in a nutshell, everything of us and in us. And don't be afraid to approach our God because no one else you know has. They can get to know him through you if it is his will. Make today the first step towards more encounter with God, the Father, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we'll just pray. Holy Father, mighty Lord, Saviour, glorious Holy Spirit, Holy Trinity, We did not understand who we were or who we are until you came into our lives. We did not understand the terms surrender and love until we heard about your son Jesus. We didn't understand about wisdom and knowledge until the Holy Father gave it to us. And we didn't understand how to live until the Holy Spirit came into our lives. Lord, we pray for more encounter with you. We pray for more encounter. Lord, let us be hungry for you. The Samaritan woman, yeah, Samaritan woman, she was looking for water and you gave her the ever-living water. She would never thirst again. But Lord, we want to be a, a thirsty and hungry church for God. We want to be eager. We want to be seeking. We want to be wanting to know more about you and showing more of you. But we need you to do that. We can't do it in our own strength, nor should we. But we should do it in the strength of God, in the wisdom of the Almighty, in the righteousness of our Saviour, Jesus, and through the power, the living, living power of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, where are our hearts that need to be unlocked? Start to unlock them by your Holy Spirit. Where there are minds that need to be cleansed, Lord, bring you thoughts, bring you desires. And where there are hands that need work, 
Lord, lead them to that work. Lead them to that work. For all of this is for you. All of this is about you. And we should never think that we, man, have any say but only what God says. So Lord, that your will be done in this. And may your encounters overcome us. In Jesus' precious and mighty name. Amen.